Hey, good morning, y'all. I am so thankful that you are joining in on our live stream, joining us this morning. And I got to tell you this really before we get started, that, and Susan and I are talking about this uh, in the last couple of days. We miss y'all like more than you could imagine. We miss the hugs, you know, so that's, that's a hug. But we miss the hugs and we miss the elbow bumps and the fist bumps. So we just, just know that we really miss the physical connectivity that we have um, on Sundays and during the week with y'all. Um, I just want y'all to know that. And as we're getting started this morning, I want to give you a quick, kind of a quick little update, a quick little, um, little uh, synopsis of what we're doing during the week. We, we started uh, two weeks ago this, we're calling it Cot Connect, and we're really live multiple times during the week, virtually every day during the week. And I want to let you know this week, We'll be live tomorrow on Monday at 12.05. We'll be live on Tuesday at, at, at 12.05. And on Tuesday, we're going to have uh, uh, myself and Stephen Kendrick live at 12.05. We tried to do that last week, and we had a fiber optic cable cut, but that's corrected now. And then on Wednesday this week, we're flopping Wednesday and Friday. So in this schedule, we're going to get you this schedule. But on Wednesday, we're going to have Stephen and Melody leading us in some worship at noontime, some midweek, midday worship. And then on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we're so thankful. Uh, Nick Desenzo, we've got a guest teacher. Nick Desenzo is going to be uh, teaching on the coming king on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And then Friday evening, we're going to have uh, a good Friday. Uh, we're going to have worship. We're going to have a message on, for good Friday. And then uh, we're going to take communion together after that. And then, of course... Joy's coming in the morning, man. There's Easter is Sunday morning, 10.30, so we invite y'all to join in with that uh, for that as well. Let me tell you, this, uh, today we're in the third installment of a series that we're calling Three Days. We're looking at Passion Week, and we're really looking at the last three days um, of Passion Week, the last three days of Christ's life, uh, physical life on the planet uh, together with us. And this is a total focus on Jesus, a total focus on Jesus. We, we've spent the last two weeks really looking at Friday, at looking at, at his arrest in the garden, at looking at his trial, and, and ultimately looking at, uh, at his really horrific yet kind of glorious death on the cross. Today, we're honing in on Saturday, on, on the Saturday of that first Easter weekend. So now Jesus is crucified, He's dead, he's buried. And we find ourselves in Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 27. And y'all, Matthew is the only gospel that has really says anything about that day. And it's chapter 27 and starting in verse 62. The next day that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still uh, alive, after three days I will rise Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And then the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have, uh, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the, the stone and setting a guard. Y'all, preparation day was the day before the Sabbath a day to prepare for the Sabbath because they had to prepare for the Sabbath before the Sabbath because they couldn't do any work 
from sundown Friday night to sundown on Saturday. And the, the mere fact that the religious leaders went to Pilate on the Sabbath was really shocking in and of itself because it was an absolute violation of their own laws. But they were in such a dang hurry to, to make sure that Pilate secured that tomb that they willingly broke their own laws. So I guess for them, the end justifies the means and it was just another example in a long line of their hypocrisy. Truth is, it was a crazy breach uh, of the Sabbath law. And there's no, no other incident in the, in the Gospels, no other account in the Gospels that really shows just how desperate, how desperate they were to get rid of this Jesus guy. Now, they're super okay with breaking the Sabbath law to make sure, to make sure that Jesus is no doubt beyond all doubt, dead and gone. So they said to Pilate, verse 63, again, sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure uh, until the third day, you know, less, if his disciples are gonna come steal the body and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And I'm telling you, in their despair, the disciples had probably, at least it seems like, they had forgotten Jesus' promise of resurrection. But y'all, where they had forgotten or ignored or something, I'm gonna say they, it seems like they'd forgotten. The chief priests and the Pharisees, the scribes, absolutely had not forgotten that. Nonetheless, those religious leaders, they, they, they hadn't forgotten it, but they absolutely didn't believe those claims he made. But they were terrified that there was somebody who was gonna pull off some fraud and take that body. The Pharisees wanted Pilate to seal that stone and make sure that nobody could steal Jesus' body and claim that he had risen from the dead. And all of them were hell-bent on keeping that body inside that tomb. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, you've got a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The Pharisees were so afraid of that prediction about his resurrection that they made completely sure that the tomb was absolutely and thoroughly sealed up and guarded. And they were not, y'all hear this, they were not trying to keep Jesus' body in because they absolutely didn't believe any of the claims that he made. But they wanted to keep anybody else out so that no one could remove that body and claim that he had risen. Pilate gave him permission, post a guard, post a guard in that tomb, up the security level even more. So now, the only way that that tomb was ever gonna be empty would be for Jesus to walk out alive. So there's the sort of the text of what happened on that Saturday. And the only text in the scripture is those four or five or six verses in Matthew 27. I wanna give you some of my own thoughts about what else was going on on that day and, and what difference it makes in our lives in 2020. What were his guys doing? What were they doing? The very men that he had just poured his life into for three plus years, where were they now? Like where was Peter and Andrew and James, the son of Zebedee and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew, 
the tax collector? Where was James the son of, of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot? Where'd they go? Like, where did they go? The Gospel of John in chapter 20 tells us that the disciples were hiding in fear behind locked doors on Sunday after Jesus had died on the cross on Friday. So it's probably safe for us to assume, although the text doesn't say it, but safe for us to assume that they were hiding, scared on Saturday as well. And it's super likely that based on their discussions with Jesus during that week in that upper room at the Last Supper, that they were still disillusioned about this whole kind of thing. They still, y'all, they still didn't get it. They didn't get it. Jesus had told them over and over and over again that he was going to die. But it's like they refused to believe it. And now that he's dead, their hopes for this, uh, this messianic kingdom was just shattered. Their king was dead. Now what? Now what? For three years, they'd been following him. For three years, they kept waiting for Jesus to whoop Rome's butt and kick Rome out of Israel. For three years, he had taught them that that was not the kind of kingdom that he was inaugurating, y'all, but they still didn't get it. And they were always like, yeah, 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 but. Because their, their, their expectations were just really kind of off kilter. Now they've completely lost hope and they lost their purpose. Have you ever been disillusioned? Have you ever felt disillusioned been disillusioned by something or somebody. You thought things were going to go one way, but instead something else completely, entirely happened. And it rocked your world. Has that ever happened to you? Because that's exactly what the disciples were going through on that Saturday. Emotional turmoil. That's where they were in a deep, dark, traumatic, anxiety-filled state. They were in the middle of a titanic storm that they never, ever expected to be in. They really, y'all, they expected Jesus to be sitting on a throne in Jerusalem and the 11 of them would like be his cabinet or something. And now he's dead. And the whole world is falling apart around him. A week ago, they're hanging out with and, and being taught by the greatest teacher, the greatest rabbi that ever walked on the planet. Y'all, they're being taught by God himself just a week ago. And then, bam, he's dead and everything in their world is in chaos. Y'all, how fast can stuff like that happen? You and I are living right now in a time that proves how fast stuff can change. How many of us are in a deep, dark, traumatic, anxiety-filled state. The fear, the doubt, the, the questions, the anxiety that Jesus' guys were feeling, it was real. It was real. The fear and the doubt and the questions and the anxiety that people are feeling all over the globe right now, it is real and I am not for a second discounting that. But here is what I am telling you. In your deepest fears, in your darkest doubts, in your screams of, of why, 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 and really in all of the questions that you and I have, write this down. The Lord knows exactly where you are and wants to comfort you. 
The Lord knows exactly where you are and wants to comfort you. For the disciples, y'all, it was just the other day that he had cleansed 10 lepers. It was just the other day that Jesus let the Pharisees have it and flipped over the tables in the temple complex. Man, he put them folks in their place. It was just the other day that he taught the rich young man and them about what was truly, truly important. It was just the other day, oh my goodness, it was just the other day that he was in Bethany and, and he raised Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus from the dead and that dude had been dead three or four days. It was just the other day that they were sitting around a fire in the Judean wilderness with Jesus learning and laughing together and hanging out together and just spending time together. And now everything they knew was gone. Everything they knew and everything they dreamed about and everything they hoped for and everything they expected died on that cross. In a flash, it was gone and they freaked out and they hit the road and they were hiding in despair. So y'all, clearly, clearly things can change on a dime. Our lives can be turned upside down from one second to the next. Theirs did. Y'all, yesterday morning, I officiated the funeral of a little boy named Nelson. 11 o'clock yesterday morning. Nelson was just a few days short of being one year old. A few days short of his first birthday. A week ago, he's playing with his toys. Just the other day, he's playing with his sister. Just the other day, he's bouncing on his daddy's knees. Just the other day, his mama's hugging him and kissing all over his face. And we buried him yesterday at noon. Y'all, it ain't supposed to happen that way. That's the way we see it. That's the way we feel. It just ain't supposed to happen that way. We're not supposed to bury our children. They're supposed to bury us. That's the natural flow of life. That's the expectation that we have. Even though Jesus told his men over and over that he was going to be delivered up and he was going to die, they just didn't expect it. Maybe they thought he was speaking metaphorically or something. I don't know. I do know that he told them it was going to happen and it happened and they, they ran and they hid in utter shock. So what do we do? Like, what do we do? Where do we turn when we experience loss? Even the cataclysmic loss of a child. Y'all, where do we go when COVID-19 shows up? What do we do? How do we react for the next 30 days when we're in essence going to kind of be in our homes? Do we drink the worry away? Do we smoke the anxiety away? Do we try to, to medicate ourselves into some false sense of peace and joy? Do we look to Fox News or CNN or ABC or NBC or, or somewhere on the TV? Do we look there like for the answers? Do we, turn, do we turn to our pastor for some magical words like we got some magic book of words that we can just give you and tell you? Where is it that we turn? Let me tell you all this. I spent hours, hours last week. I spent hours last week trying to figure out the right words to say 
at little Nelson's funeral yesterday. And two words in that sentence that I just said hit me like a ton of bricks about 2 a.m. Friday morning. The word I and the word right. The word I and the word right. First of all, to even consider anything being right, any words being right in that moment is just absurd. And then the other word, I, that's the one that really, really hit me, really hit me hard. I was looking to me for the words. I was looking for me to me for the answers. Like I'm supposed to be some, some lone ranger to come in and save the day. I'm looking at me. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I shouldn't have been looking at me. I should have been looking up, y'all. I shouldn't have been looking at me. I should have been looking up. What, you know, what would have been the right words for Peter's dad to have given him in the moment? If James looked to his father Zebedee for some magic words of comfort, what would Papa Z have told him? So y'all, here's the deal. I believe that we have got to turn to the word of God. The inspired, God-breathed word. If we're looking for comfort in the storm, and we are, let's find it in the scriptures. Let's heed Isaiah 49, for example. Verse 13, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. If we'd be comforted in what God has in store for us, less, and we will, and we will, lest heed Jesus' own words in John chapter 14. He says, let not, these are Jesus' words. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 37, in all these things, well, what things is Paul talking about? It's the things in the verses before. No, in all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, violence, danger, in all those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will what? None of that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So be comforted, y'all, in what the Lord has in store for us. He tells us to to cast our cares, to cast our burdens on him. Cast them on him and he will hear it and he'll handle it like only he can. Psalm 55, verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord, cast your burden on the Lord and the text says he will sustain you. And then in Matthew, my goodness, Jesus had just told his disciples this in Matthew chapter six. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Yesterday, all those words 
were for Gregory and Sandra Nelson's mom and daddy. In the spring of AD 33, those words were for Peter and Matthew and Bartholomew and his guys. And I'm telling you, today, those words are for you. Those words are for you. They're, they're timeless truths that are all over these, this Bible. Timeless truths that are applicable throughout history in every culture. Embrace those truths. On this side of heaven, we're not promised a, a trouble-free life. We're not promised a life without trials. We're not uh, promised a, a pain-free life. We're not promised a life without tragedy or a life devoid of loss. Ask Gregory and Sandra. We're not promised a life devoid. Uh, we're just not. We're just not. And the pain is real. The, the, the despair is real. It is. Far be it for me to stand up here and try to minimize the pain, try to minimize what, what we're all going through. And then the, word of, the words of, of James in chapter four, verse eight, they absolutely assure us that the Lord will hear us and that the Lord will comfort us. Verse eight, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Get on your knees and draw near to the Lord and he will, it's a promise, he will draw near to you. And there's some very encouraging words uh, when we're, for us when we're in the middle of a fire, when we're in the middle of the battle, when we're in the middle of a storm. Some promises that he gives us. And we could talk about this for an hour. Promises over promise over promise. We're promised deliverance in Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord delivers him. That's a promise. We're promised deliverance. And then out of Jesus' mouth himself, his words, we're promised rest. We're promised deliverance, and then we're promised rest in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say there may come a time uh, if you ever are heavy laden. When you're heavy laden, come to me, Jesus says, and he'll give us rest. We're promised deliverance. We're promised rest. And then we're promised peace. Again, these are Jesus' words in John chapter 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're gonna have tribulation, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So Jesus says, in me, in me, you'll find peace. So we're promised deliverance, we're promised rest, we're promised peace. So here again, the, the word of God is for the disciples. The word of God is for Gregory and Sandra. And the word of God is for me and you in times of trouble. Things can get so sideways in the blink of an eye, they did then, they did for Gregory and Sandra just nine days ago. And they do for me and you. And as Christ followers, we've got to turn to the Lord and we've got to cling to his word and we've got to cling to his promises. Y'all, some of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, they cried out to God with questions. And it was only through getting real and being authentic and being honest with the Lord that he would finally bring them to a place of peaceful trust. 
We got to trust him in the fire. And I'm not about to, and I cannot stand here and, and, and tell you and promise you that he's going to put the fire out. I can't. He might, but, it, but he might not. But here's what I can promise you, that if we will trust him, if we will be in relationship with him, if we will be on our knees talking to him, that he will put his arm around us and he will walk through the fire with us. He is always, always at work for those that love him. And he is usually doing that behind the scenes and we don't even know it. Think back on that Saturday, 2,000-ish years ago, and the very guys that Jesus had spent three plus years with, think about it, on that Saturday, they had absolutely no clue, no idea, zero idea that joy was coming in the morning. Although Jesus had told them, they just ignored it or forgot it, I don't know. But they had no idea that he was gonna run out of that grave less than 24 hours later. And look, y'all, I don't have a clue what the Lord has in store for Gregory and Sandra. I really don't. I, I, I don't. But I feel like right now he's focused on providing them with peace and providing them with comfort and providing them with the strength to get through the storm that has come into their lives. And I'm just being real with y'all. I, I, I am completely unable to empathize with them. I, I cannot put my feet in their shoes. I wish I could. Yesterday, I wanted to hug them so bad I, I, I couldn't stand it. And I wish I could put my feet in their shoes, but I can't. I pray that they will cling to each other and then together that they will cling to the Lord because he can empathize with them. He stood exactly where they stood at the graveside of a beloved child, his innocent son, Jesus of Nazareth, who had done absolutely, positively nothing wrong and didn't deserve to die. And so I'm telling you this morning, man, look up. Look up. Don't look to yourself for the answers. Look up. Look at him. Look to the one who is faithful, even when we're faithless. He will not forsake you. He understands, he cares, and he is desperately and madly in love with you. Even though the deceiver has whispered in your ears that you're not lovable, even though the deceiver has whispered in your ears that you're not worthy, the Lord is madly in love with you. His word tells me and you that, that he wants to deliver on his promises. His promises to deliver to you hope and rest and peace and joy and comfort. It's in his presence, y'all. When, he, when he's with you, when you're clothed in his presence, all those promises can be fulfilled. There's a doctor. He had to give a painful shot to a little four-year-old girl. And when this little four-year-old girl had figured out exactly what this doctor was about to do, the look on her face was sheer terror. Her little body like just tensed up like in anxiety at, as the doctor picked up this needle that to her looked big enough to kill an elephant. What'd she do? She turned her eyes to her father. Her daddy took her hand 
and he fixed his eyes on her and he just said to her, just look at me, just look at me, just focus on me, keep your eyes on me. And the countenance in her face changed. This expression of sheer terror kind of morphed into confidence and this calmness kind of came over her face. She knew, y'all, that she was not alone, that she was not alone. And so she found comfort, this little girl, not in the spoken words of her father. She, 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 this calmness came from his presence with her in the time of trial. It's his presence, y'all. It's his presence. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly when you need it. And he wants to put his arms around you. In the fear, he wants his arms around you. In the doubt. And, and, and even in, and maybe especially in the pain. He wants to put his arms around you. And he wants to carry you to the finish line. I want you to watch this little short video. So y'all, let me tell you what you just saw. What you just saw was a, was a fellow named Derek Redmond. He was a runner on the 1992 British Olympic team. He's running the 400 meter. 
But as he turned one of those corners, he came up, pulled a hamstring. If you ever pulled a hamstring, agony. And he falls down flat on his face and he's on the ground in desperate, literally in desperate pain. It hurts so bad. He struggles to get up and he's limping. But he is determined to finish the race. In the middle of that unfolding drama, y'all saw it on the video, this, this man comes running out of the stands, uh, runs onto the track and he puts his arm around Derek. Two times the Olympic officials go out there and they try to tell the man, stop doing what you're doing. Stop doing what you're doing. You don't need to be here. You don't need to do that. And twice that older man waved his hands and you know what he said? You know what he said? He said, get out of here. Leave me alone. This is my son. They tried to stop the father from doing what he needed to do with his son. He says, get out of here. This is my son. Today, y'all, I'm telling you, man, there's somebody in the stands who is willing to come down and to pick you up and to let you put your arm around his shoulder and he'll put his arm around you too and he will drag you to the finish line. Let me tell y'all, I said it a little while ago, he is madly in love with you. He is madly in love with you. And he wants to put his arm around you. That offer is there. All it takes, it's not some big formula. You repent, you repent, turn away from the sin and turn towards the Lord. It's like that little girl looking in her daddy's eyes. What did she find in his eyes? It was in his presence. Y'all, it was in his presence. She felt the comfort and she felt the love and she felt the peace and she felt the joy of the Father. Look into his eyes today. Look into his eyes today. Repent and turn and believe that he died on that cross. 2,000 years ago, coming up Friday, 2,000 years ago, he died on that cross and once and for all that took care of the sin in your life. Believe that. Repent and believe and just tell him, today's the day that I want you to save me, Lord, and he will. Y'all pray with me. Lord, let today be the day that I say yes to you. I repent of my sin and I desperately want you to save me. I say yes to your offer. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, all I can tell you is get in the word. Get in the, don't look to yourself for answers. Don't look to yourself for answers. Look up. I spent a whole lot of my life looking to me for all the answers for everything. And you always come up empty. You, you, you just do. We're not wired up that way. Look up. Look up. Love y'all.